G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 4 Review Edition and uh, another big weekend of football, or four days of football, remembering uh, we start now on a Thursday night, but a real mixed bag, some uh, thrillers, uh, some uh, couple of blowouts, uh, some good games, some bloody shockers, which we'll talk about a bit later, or I will. Um, but a fair bit to discuss, as I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? I'm well. Sunday, bloody Sunday, in terms of football quality. If uh, you were, as I was, all bunkered down, very cold today in Melbourne, and ready for a big day of football, sorely disappointed, but I guess that is part of the uh, makeup of football at the moment, not contributed to by the shorter quarters and the empty stadiums. You know, it, it just, some games click, some don't. But all for all of that, it's still great that we've got football, isn't it? Because uh, as, as I'll mention later on, I'm starting to get sick. And I'm not sick and tired of, I understand the medical requirements and the need for, uh, especially here in Victoria, to double down because of uh, this spike in cases, but uh, it's it's getting pretty old, you know. I, I want I want my life back, and I think a lot of Melbournians, a lot of Victorians, a lot of Australians, and a lot of people around the world would agree. All right. Uh, well, uh, a mixed bag of footy over the weekend, but one thing that is never a mixed bag, finally, is the produce from our very own sponsor, Andrew's Hamburgers, because you never have to order anything there and hold your breath about, will this be a good one or a bad one? You know the quality is always going to be top-notch. I wish, I really wish the rest of my life was as consistent in terms of just going there and getting the beauty, the absolute ripper. And on a cold night like tonight, who wouldn't love... There's something, it almost takes you back to your childhood. You know, when you're hungry... And you get handed comfort food. Well, you just get handed that burger, and before you take the bite, just those glorious thirty seconds or whatever as you make your way out of, especially on a cold night, that the the store full of you know sort of um, steam because it's hot and warm in there, and you've got that treasured Andrew's burger in your hand, and you, there's nothing there's nothing else there's nothing else on your mind but that first bite into those buns that you love so much the the juicy all meat patty your beading vegetables and tonight I'd take an egg and just get that runny yolk on my chin and say up yours world I've got an Andrew's hamburger and where would you find that Andrew's hamburger fine all over my face, and at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. All right. I thought you'd actually forgotten the address there. So no, no. You were pausing pausing for dramatic Perfect, effect. Perfect, yes. And, uh, well, speaking about pausing, you would never have to pause if you decided to get your home renovated 
and uh, you took up with our other great sponsor, and they are? West Point Properties, Nick Spartels, the principal. Imagine on a cold night like tonight having some of these creature comforts. Underfloor heating. Have you, have you ever been in a place where those slate floors and marble floors aren't cold, but in winter they're actually warmed and they're warm to walk on and they warm the house with that subterranean heating that's so effective. Beautiful, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, beautifully appointed kitchens. Uh, they take full advantage of small blocks and, well, West Point Properties. They are the best and they build for the best. And aren't you the best? I was no, going to say when no. only the best will do, but the old people of I don't know if Benson and Hedges still exist, but I don't want to get sued by a cigarette company. They've got deep pockets. Uh, yes, well, uh, we don't want to be promoting smoking. It's a horrible pastime and uh, one I will be divesting myself of very, very shortly. Yeah? A uh, lot. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm already cutting back. Uh, I'm on a mission. I'm a man on a mission. And we're on a mission on this podcast to give you the best, most in-depth entertaining analysis of all nine games every week and that's what we're going to do right now on footyology wrap around well round four kicked off all the way back on thursday evening as always by the time we get to the end of a round it does seem a long time ago uh and it was a triumph for the western bulldogs up at the scg against the sydney swans they won 10 goals 7 67 28 point victors over Sydney, 5 9 39. Really got the jump in the first quarter with three goals to nothing. Another three in the second term. Um, Sydney never really like, looked like um, being able to win this game, to be honest. They were always sort of within striking distance, but they never really looked like it, I didn't think. And the Bulldogs got some great performances from some stars. What do you make of it, Finey? Well, I don't know if you're a Simpsons fan, but uh, there was a great episode on The Simpsons when Montgomery Burns put together his softball team. And it was made up of professional baseballers. And one by one, they uh, underwent misfortunes, uh, the likes of Wade Boggs, Daryl Strawberry, etc., etc. And they all, uh, Mattingly, and uh, they all went by the wayside. And I remember Monty Burns said, one misfortune, possible, two, maybe, three, unlikely, four, one in a million, but nine misfortunes? What were the chances of that? And that's how I feel about Sydney's forward line. Yes, um, Buddy Franklin's now at an age where it's a problematic issue and, and his hamstring has have let him down. And then Sam Reed, of course, that again, comes at the wrong time. McCartan, on top of that, how unlucky is this side going to be with tall forward paucity? And and now with Sam Naismith doing his knee, Callum Sinclair really has to ruck all the time. It's starting to look like the power plant softball team. On Thursday night, that left them with the shortest key forward in living memory in football history. But he played a great game, Tom Papley. But he did play like a, a leading forward, like like they're marking forward. He might be short in stature, but he's got great hands. He kicked four goals, but there was only one more for them, and that was Josh Kennedy in the last quarter. Uh, the, the reality is that the Bulldogs 
had more options, even with the injuries to their forward line with Norton and Lloyd going down. At least they had Bruce, who actually gave them a little bit in the second half. His first sign of maybe being a worthwhile recruit since arriving from St Kilda. Bontempelli was the difference, though, wasn't he, Rowan? I mean, in the end, you've got a, a guy like Bontempelli takes the game by the scruff of the neck out of the middle, goes forward, kicks a couple, including a great mark going backwards. That's enough to win a game in the current climate with low scores. Oh, he was clearly the best player on the ground. Actually, just before I mention him, there were three serious injuries out of this game. So Aaron Norton, an ankle. Um, Sam Lloyd, shoulder injury. They're both going to be missing for some time. Gee, I mean, they're pretty major inclusions in, in that forward setup. Um, and then the really bad luck story for Sydney, Sam Naismith, his first game in almost two years and did his knee again. He's had a, a shocking run of it, lost his sister recently. Um, now he's out for the year. So condolences to him. But uh, three major injuries out of that game. Now, just back on Bontempelli, I thought this was one of his best games because it, it just actually absolutely screened leadership, his performance in this game. He, every time they need to lift, he rose to the occasion, whether it was getting a, a clearance, uh, just some sharp hands in, in congestion. But probably even more significant than that, a couple of uh, massive contested grabs. Geez, his marking was on, kicked a couple of big goals in that second quarter. Um, when the, you know, the go, it was one goal each in the second term. Bont then, in the space of five or so minutes, just absolutely took over the game. Two big grabs, two big goals. And he continued to be a massive influence on the game right through to the end. He, he was superb for the Doggies, I thought. Also got great value out of um, our man, East Melbourne's finest mullet, Bailey Smith. Thought he was terrific. Jack McRae, very steady for them. And uh, kudos as well to Tim English because he got an absolute pasting in that first game of the season against Brady Grundy. And the last couple of weeks... He has been terrific. Back to his mobile, high-possession winning, influential best. So a real plus for them. Hayden Crozier, Mr. Unobtrusive, just uh, becoming a really valuable player for the Doggies. Caleb Daniel, pretty pretty good as well. So, um, yeah, look, they're, they're definitely back to the sort of form we thought they might show this season. The big if now, though, is the... Um, the impact that those injuries to Norton and Lloyd are going to have on that forward line. Now, you know, fortunately, they do have stuff in reserve. Uh, Josh Shackey, pretty handy guy to bring back in. Do you reckon? Um, well, he's a key forward. Most sides these days, if they lost a key forward, probably wouldn't be able to call on another one. They'd be playing makeshift. So, yeah, OK, you can debate about just how good a player he is, but at least they've got a bona fide uh, key forward. So, I mean, that's one of the advantages of Luke Beveridge's uh, list-building policy, if you like. There's flexibility and cover for most um, spots on the ground. I like but the, I like the their... Boyd bloke that's going to take Lloyd's place, though, because Sam Lloyd's been distinctly disappointing this season. And I, I, yeah, I, he has. I really like Tory Dixon. You know, we know if he gets a shot at goal, it's almost, you know, right over the black dot, as they say, in rugby league. But... He's a good – he certainly can't do any worse than Lloyd was going. And I just think in the current climate where goals are at a, at a premium, he, he doesn't need many kicks to be very valuable because he's such a good kick. No, no. I think, though, we're seeing – no, you'd have to agree we're seeing a vastly different Bulldogs to what we saw even three weeks ago when they lost to St Kilda. So 
credit to them for being able to turn it around uh, reasonably quickly. And we wait to see how they go from here without those couple of key players. All right, that was Thursday evening. Uh, let's talk about Friday evening. Friday night at Giant Stadium, and we saw a rematch of last year's preliminary final between the Giants and Collingwood. And, well, this one, a uh, pretty epic game too, uh, and close, similarly to last year's preliminary final, and a similar result with the Giants prevailing by two points and turning around some pretty ordinary form over the last couple of weeks. Uh, two goals to them in the final term to just a solitary major to the Pies, and the Giants hung on. Ten goals, six, 66, defeating Collingwood, nine, 10, 50, uh, 64. Uh, great performance from Toby Green. Back in that lineup, he is so valuable to them. Kicked three goals. Got a pretty rugged run with the ups, but managed to survive that. Two goals to Jeremy Cameron. For the Pies, two each to Stevenson, Busy Early, Majacek and Phillips, both of whom were almost invisible until they each popped up with little cameos in the uh, third quarter, which gave the Magpies a pretty decent chance of taking the points. Full credit to the Giants, they hung on. They were strong when it mattered and uh, they managed to do it besides, uh, despite the loss of a couple of key players to injury, Phil Davis and uh, Zach Williams, both out of the game for some time now with what looked like um, serious hamstring injuries. And, of course, the Pies suffered a shocker too, and we did discuss on Footyology Final Siren, could that be the difference between their capacity to win a flag or not? And we're talking, of course, about Jeremy Howe, who has damaged the posterior cruciate ligament and the medial something or other ligament, one I hadn't heard of. It started with C. Uh, anyway, two ligaments means serious damage. Uh, doubtful he's going to play again this season. And for a defence that isn't overly tall, that is really going to stretch their capacity. Uh, look, a, a good game this. Played in a similar sort of um, uh, style, I guess, to that preliminary final stash. Uh, very tight, scoring hard to come by. And both sides really relying on, on little bursts of scoring. But you just felt like GWS made more of their opportunities, really. And uh, 10 goals, 6 to 9 goals, 10 really sort of backs that up. They also had a few more uh, better performers midfield, I thought. Number least, young Tom Green, who is an outstanding prospect. Uh, really, really impressive. Josh Kelly coming back into, uh, into the lineup and performing pretty well. Matt DeBoer did his usual tagging duties. And where the Pies had Pendlebury playing some brilliant footy, they probably struggled a bit for midfield contributions beyond that. I thought Taylor Adams was all right. But still, Sidebottom uh, kept very quiet by DeBoer by his usual very prolific standards. And uh, in the end, that might have just about been the difference, I think. Uh, just that greater depth of midfield contributor that the Giants enjoyed. Still a very, very close game. Could have gone either way, really. Pies still with the chance to win it. Uh, with a, the final minute left on the clock after a, a big grab and goal from Mason Cox. But overall, I would have thought the Giants probably deserved the win and a critical one for them finally because uh, they were looking down the barrel had they lost a third game in a row. Were you impressed with them? I was impressed. It's funny, you know, they were facing the team that on the back of their 
form thus far this interrupted season had been installed as premiership favourites, Collingwood, but you get a sense that no other opponent did they want to face. Because when you are runners-up and you've had a poor start to the season, defeating Adelaide or the bottom team on the ladder, that's not really going to fix the problem, is it? So you want to play a good team, and we know that they've got a good recent record against Collingwood, so I think it was the right opponent at the right time especially because they regained Kelly. They obviously, you know, the, Toby Green, you've, you've already praised him and quite rightly so. Uh, Whitfield, who barely played the previous week because of uh, concussion, was very effective off the halfback flank. Mumford came in for Jacobs, got beaten, but still has a presence. And Tom Green, the other inclusion was the surprise packet. And as you rightly pointed out, Almost the difference. You know, Nathan Buckley was very frustrated after the game, not with the effort, because he said, you know, they they put in the sh- a shift as he expected, especially, uh, you know, when the chips were down. But some execution errors and some sort of uncharacteristic mistakes, Maynard stubbing his toe, gifting a goal to GWS. In a close game, it comes down to these moments in time. And I think Collingwood, as a possession team, pride themselves on clean football and were frustrated a bit by their usage. Let's be honest, that last quarter, two goals to one, but Collingwood had all the inside 50 entries. They were blazing away a lot, weren't they? And and to not great effect. So I think you'd be frustrated that they didn't lower their eyes, hit a couple of targets and get to the front. Yeah, I think that's a good point because the previous week against St Kilda, they looked dangerous every time they went inside 50. That was because they were allowed to bring the ball inside under little pressure. Now, that's something GWS did really well on Friday night. They always had the Collingwood mids under pressure delivering that ball inside 50. They couldn't get that precise pinpoint disposal onto those hit-up leads um, uh, offered by the likes of those medium-sized forwards, a la Elliot, Stevenson, um, and these are the guys who make Collingwood so dangerous up forward. If you're reduced to just bombing the ball in to Meyercheck and arresting Ruckman, it doesn't look quite so effective. So, um, yeah, well done, GWS, applying the pressure. And uh, I don't think it'll be giving away any secrets. But um, clearly, you know, a major plank in being able to beat Collingwood is being able to pressure their ball carriers into either turning it over or at least making their uh, disposal a bit less precise than usual. We, we do right, need to keep that. Ro, we need to keep an eye on Canilio. He surprisingly started in the forward line and had the least possessions he's ever had in a game of football. Um, so, well, yeah, look, he's missed a fair bit. It's going to take him some time, I think, to get back to his, uh, his um, brilliant self. Yeah, just hope course. he's okay. All right, let's move on to Saturday. Port Adelaide flying along at the moment and another really good win to them over West Coast on Saturday at Metricon Stadium. 48-point victors with a score of 13-11-89 over another miserable tally from West Coast. Six goals, five. 41, and uh, it's starting to look pretty ordinary for the Eagles. Of course, they will get a, uh, what is it, a seven-week stint back at home. But, boy, they're going to have to make hay while the sun shines there, I would have thought. Um, you go first on this one, Finey. What would you make of this game? 
Well, first of all, we saw the biggest bag of the season, Charlie Dixon, who has been, I guess, especially towards the end of last season, uh, a question mark over his spot in that side. He's uh, Just on that, I'll just chip in there too, sorry, because I forgot to give the goal kickers. Yep. Six goals. Uh, I mean, what's that the equivalent of in, say, 2,000 terms? That's about a 12, isn't it, I reckon? Uh, you know what? It's almost more. But let's just say it's what it it is a double double figure bag, the likes of which we used to salivate over. It is. It was a remarkable effort. Six goals to him, two to West and Ebert. Uh, Josh Kennedy for a lone hand for the Eagles. Sorry, Finey, do go on. No, no problems. So Charlie Dixon, what a difference uh, this season has made, and. Funny that he had to leave Adelaide, go back to where it all began on the Gold Coast and <laughs> to find his form. It's sort of maybe uh, a, a, a sort of a more comfortable place for him to play football. It is where it all began, of course, even though he didn't spend that long on the Gold Coast. They're a team that has been almost pitchforked into this season. And sometimes, especially given the uh, abbreviated nature of this season, that's all you need They've got plenty of ability, don't get me wrong. Their big move was last season investing in the draft, and they did it brilliantly. They ended up with Connors, uh, sorry, Connor Rosie, Zach Butters, the injured Dersma. It's a great instant hit that they got. These guys immediately became the lifeblood, if not the major ball winners in that team. And they've obviously had an effect because guys like Travis Boak and Charlie Dixon, I'm not saying they were at crossroads, but they certainly uh, had more to give than they had been giving over the last couple of years. And they are now at maximum output, which is great for the team. I think the back line's highly underrated. Dan Houston's a very good footballer. Clury is never beaten. And Darcy Byrne-Jones has, since making the team, never been out of it. You've got a side... The draw's been nice to them. You know, they've faced Adelaide, they've faced West Coast at their very worst, they've faced Fremantle, and they got to face Gold Coast in Adelaide before the 81-day break. So, yeah, the draw has been nice. It'll it'll um, stiffen up as they head back through Melbourne and back to Adelaide, but they get on home turf there, maybe in front of a home crowd. So things are looking good for Port. On the other hand, West Coast, uh, I think... I think the season's gone, mate. Because next week they play Richmond, of course, who travel up to Brisbane. What an interesting game that is. But I, I have to tip. I've got more faith in Richmond than West Coast. But if West Coast loses next week, adios 2020 for the Eagles. Yeah, just about um, things going against them even before the start. Jeremy McGovern, of course, a late out for them, and that was always going to stuff their defensive structure around a bit. I thought Port defended really well against them. They just didn't allow West Coast those uncontested marks that they love taking and and, uh, their modus operandi in the way that they seek to attack. A couple of uh, Port guys I want to single out. Uh, Ollie Wines just makes a huge difference for them around the ball. He set the tone in that first quarter with eight disposals. Hamish Hartlett has been terrific for them uh, coming off half-back. You mentioned the defence and those guys you mentioned rightly so, but he's been uh, a revelation for them, I think, being able to be used as a rebounding defender. So 
credit to him. He was another guy whose uh, career appeared at the crossroads. And besides those young guys who are really exciting, we're, we're seeing sort of steady improvement from the likes of Carl Amon too. He's another one who, you know, has been borderline at stages, but I think he's really improving his contribution. And Tom Rockliffe, there's not such a dependence upon him now, so he just bowls along and picks up his swag of touches each week. And Brad Ebert, who had uh, shocking injury issues last year, concussion issues and all sorts of things, he... Uh, is playing some really good footy too. And also, and, and, and yeah, Brad uh, Ebert's pretty much good for a goal a game, underrated in hitting the scoreboard, which is so important. Midfielders need to pick up the shortfall that we no longer get from key forwards. So he's a very valuable player. Yep, no, no, it's a good call. And they've got a couple more who are capable of kicking goals as well. The Eagles, where are they at? Well, they got plenty of touches out of Andrew Gaff. They usually do. I thought Luke Shuey was a lot better this week. Spot on. Um, but Jack Darling, just a, a non-contributor. And poor old Josh Kennedy had to do everything on his own, which didn't help. Tim Kelly, yeah, he was okay. He's not sort of at his Geelong levels. There's no doubt about that. Elliot Yo could say the same about him. He's probably not at his all-Australian levels at the moment. But just generally across the board, there's a real flatness about them. I think the way they like to play footy, they're not being allowed to play that way. And it's almost sometimes like they don't appear to have a, a plan B. Um, so definitely in a world of trouble, they've got that seven-week period at home. You know, they're going to have to win six out of those seven, I think, to even be a, a chance of being in contention for a top four spot at the end of the season. So in all sorts of trouble, the Eagles. Port, meanwhile, bowl along undefeated and uh, looking good. And uh, look, they may have a drop-off at some stage, but in an abbreviated season, I think getting off to a really good start was going to be more important even than usual. And they've certainly done that. So the likelihood is that when we are talking finals, you're certainly going to be talking about Port Adelaide. Great win to them. All right, let's head back to Melbourne for the Saturday Twilight Stoush. Well, this was a turn up for the books. A terrific win to your Saints, Flyney. 26-point victors over Richmond. 15 goals, 3-93. That's as accurate a scoreline as we're seeing for a long time. Especially with two posters. Well, good point. Against the Tigers, 10 goals, 7 67, and uh, Richmond got the first goal of this game, but uh, St Kilda really made the running after that. They were up uh, four goals to one, only about 13 minutes into that first term, and thereafter, really, Richmond was chasing tail. A uh, couple of times, the Tigers steadied the ship. You know, Tom Lynch bobbed up late in the first quarter with a couple of goals. They got a couple in a row in the third term from memory, but... Really, any time you thought, oh, here they come, St Kilda immediately rattled on a couple just as quickly. Got terrific performances from the following. I thought Dan Butler against his old team was sensational. Three goals, all at uh, critical times. He was lively. Um, and St Kilda really ran the Tigers off their feet a bit, which uh, I don't think many sides have been able to do in the last few years because Richmond are hardly short of league speed. But... The Saints did it beautifully. I thought Tim Membry was a really dangerous target uh, up forward all game. And they got little good good little cameos too from the likes of uh, Loney, who bobbed up with two goals. Kent bobbed up with two. Rowan Marshall, I thought, played a great game in the ruck. He chipped in with a couple of goals as well. Plenty of contributors there. thought Jack Steele, terrific. 
on the ball, tough, contested hard, tackled well. Jack Billings got better the longer the game went. They contributors everywhere, really. It was a really, really impressive performance from uh, the Saints. And the Tigers, they, they just couldn't get any fluency or rhythm. I thought they were unusually undisciplined. They gave away some costly free kicks and 50-metre penalties. One particularly at the end of the game where uh, Nick Foston um, handed, uh, I think it was Marshall, uh, the chance to kick essentially the match-sealing goal. Um, that was the story of their day. They're just not clicking. I don't think they're attacking the ball with anything or, or running at the opponent with the same sort of ferocity we've come to inspect over of them over the last few years. And uh, really just sort of going on two and a half cylinders of the four. So not panic stations yet, but the bottom line is four games and they have one win, one win in a very scrappy draw. So they would need to get a wriggle on soon. Uh, really lacking some spark. I thought Dustin Martin was uh, curbed very well and had his moments, but basically wasn't a huge influence on the game. And they didn't have a lot else they could call upon, really. Hooley battled on well. Lynch had his moments. Prestia, consistent, but really missing some energy and spark, the Tigers at the moment. And uh, full credit to the Saints. After we thought last week, well, we're still, way short, still a, a fair way off the pace. Uh, maybe we need to revise that judgment again because um, allowed to run and create, they are a very dangerous and very potent team. I mean, let's not forget 15-3-93 in these sorts of games. That is a pretty decent score finding. Very impressed with your boys, Horace. Yeah, they were good. Uh, that win was better than most people watching on TV would know and more on that in life hacks. And the reason it was better than most people would know from the broadcast is St Kilda played that last quarter with only 20 men and the two players that didn't play were key members of their midfield. Zach Jones did not play in the last quarter and neither did Jade Gresham. Zach Jones had some tightness in the hammy and they'll check that out during the week and Gresham just before three-quarter time got an accidental knee to the eye and got the biggest shiny you've ever seen and couldn't see out of his eye so he couldn't play. That's a pretty good effort. 15 points up to stretch that out to 26. Uh, I am quite confident that I can tell you who will win the club votes for best St Kilda player. I know that Butler did well. He won the Ian Stewart medal. But uh, my best player for St Kilda, and I've watched the game back, and I think it uh, holds water, was Jake Carlisle. I thought he was... I don't think he was. He was fantastic. He curbed... Uh, Rewalt, he marshalled the defence. He, he saved a certain goal when he went back with the flight of the ball to spoil Lynch at a key moment in the second quarter. That was a fantastic spoil. And uh, he was just a, a, a really reliable spoil and mark in the centre of defence. And I thought that was good. I think that Richmond were highly undisciplined. You mentioned Vloston. Coxon, very unlucky. Uh, very lucky, I should say, not to give away 50 when he gave away a free kick to Jack Loney and then pushed him over. Should, could, should have been 50. Jack Rewald in the last quarter was totally undisciplined. Why was he going for those huge specky? He should have been penalised, actually. Three times in the last quarter, he flew on the back of some guy's shoulder and didn't even go for the mark. Did you see that, Rowan? I did. He was just, I just think that's really undisciplined. Um, I thought Richmond's best was actually Nan Curvis. Had a great battle with Marshall, didn't he? That was good. And 
look, St Kilda will say there was some uh, management, but there's no doubt they are better off without Paddy Ryder in the team. Not because Paddy Ryder hasn't played well, but for team balance. Don't you agree that you just don't need two ruckmen with shorter quarters? Uh, I'm, I'm leaning more in that direction. I, I thought it might be the right strategy to pursue, given that both Ryder and Marshall are very mobile. But, yeah, I mean, look, it, it depends what sort of height the opposition's fielding. But, uh, you know, clearly in this case, they were probably better served without the second Ruckman. So it'd be interesting to see how they go over the next few weeks with it. And just one last comment. St Kilda brought in a player that I think a lot of St Kilda fans were very surprised not to see in the team from round one. And I don't think Josh Battle will be out of the team for the rest of the season. He's a very good player and he's versatile. Either end of the ground, quick, tall, and he's got a bit of... um, what would you call a bit of spunk about him too? He certainly took it up to Richmond uh, when it got a bit hot under the collar in that third quarter. Do you think um, if your name was Battle, you, you'd sort of feel obliged to have a bit of spunk in you? Yeah, I, you, you're more likely to take things up to the opposition than if your surname was Playfair. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, all right, great win by the Saints. Uh, well done to them. And uh, obviously you're enjoying that one a fair bit. Well, I wish I could say I enjoyed this Saturday night game, but I didn't. Let's talk about it. Well, the Navy Blues got over the line in another thriller against Essendon by one point. First one-point uh, cut win over Essendon since that game. You know what? The 99 preliminary final. Uh, I wish this one was as good a game, but it wasn't. It was pretty appalling as a spectacle. But full credit to the Blues. And look, to be perfectly honest, I think they should have won this by a fair bit more in the end. Seven goals, 10-52, defeating the Bombers, 8-3-51. So there you go, 17 scores to 11. Missed some chances to uh, you know, really convert their dominance in general play into scoreboard dominance. And talking about that dominance in general play, here's some stats for you. 65 more disposals, 15 more inside 50s. They won the clearance count. They won the contested ball easily. They won the uncontested position by 61. Massive figure. Marks inside 50. They took 13 of them to Essendon's five. Essendon really missing a target up front, kicking it to undersized forwards all night. But it just Essendon just kept the seem to keep sort of pinching goals where just when you thought, oh, they're in trouble now. And it's it just it was a process that kept repeating itself all night. In the first quarter, Parrish bobbed up with a couple in quick succession. Um, start of a second quarter, Smith and Townsend kicked a couple and that kept them hanging in there. Uh, third quarter, it was McKernan and then Stringer getting one after the siren to level the scores. And then Essendon got the first two of the last quarter there's Stringer and McDonald Tip and Woody, and you thought somehow they are going to win this game. Well, hats off to the Blues. They had faded badly in the last quarter against Geelong last week. They kept coming and coming in this game. Martin got it back to within six points. Levi Casbolt, it was terrific, I thought. Geez, he's probably got the most reliable hands in footy at the moment. And his kicking is terrific. Um, a fine shot from him to level the scores. McGovern got a point to give him the point lead. And then what drama. In that last minute, uh, of course, Cunningham, who was superb for the Blues, easily his best game of league footy, 28 disposals he finished up with, kicked a point. Essendon took the kick in. Eddie Betts conceded a 
questionable 50 metre penalty that somehow became about a 75 metre penalty. Adam Saad booted into the forward line. Jacob Townsend dives forward and takes a mark, kick from about 50. Um, the camera shot, you would have approved on him. The camera shot was good from behind him. And uh, he's kicked it. And, he, and I thought, he's done it. He's won him again. But unfortunately, well, fortunately for a Carlton supporter, it fell just on the goal line. Somehow managed to avoid everyone's hands and actually came off Liam Jones' noggin through um, the goals for a rush behind. Only three seconds left, I think, when the kick-in was taken. And the Blues hung on by a point. It would have been highway robbery had they not won this game. I thought Sam Doherty and Cade Simpson, terrific for them um, across half-back in, in alternating in a loose man role and, and uh, rebound running defenders. I don't know why Essendon lets Doherty off the leash every time he plays against them, but they seem to make a habit of it. and was pretty costly. I thought uh, Michael Gibbons, I'm not going to call him Sam this week. I've been reproached about that a couple of times. thought he was really good for Carlton. He, he has been all season, really. Walsh chipped in with 24. Mark Murphy had a big last quarter and was key to them. And, and the other uh, impressive thing for the Blues is that... Um, it's sort of underlined that they don't necessarily need Patrick Cripps playing a blinder because Kyle Langford, I thought, did a really good job on him. But uh, in the end, they had enough other contributors to get away with it. The Bombers will be really disappointed with this. I, I just thought they were sluggish all night. I thought uh, too many players just didn't want to get their hands dirty. Um, and uh, a couple of leaders, most disappointingly, and I don't want to get sort of personal about this, Finey, but seems to me that every time Essendon puts in a, an ins, uh, not an insipid, but an ordinary performance, there's a couple of senior hands who are always on the absent without leave list. And they are Tom Bell Chambers and David Zaharakis. Now, Zaharakis, he has been ordinary, to say the least, this season. Can't win enough of the footy. Does little with it when he gets it. Doesn't seem to exert any sort of leadership presence. And uh, Ditto Belcho in the ruck, I uh, just thought he was really um, shown a bit of a lesson by Mark Pittenet, who's played a handful of league games. So that should tell you all you need to know. Those two guys are among several senior Essendon players who really need to uh, pull their fingers out, I think, and start showing a bit more leadership. Uh, incidentally, speaking about senior Essendon players, uh, the bad news for them is Zach Merritt copped a week for that uh, late um, sort of round arm to Jack Silvani's ribs and that will cost him appearing um, in the big game this week against the Pies. So uh, very untimely on his part. But disappointing night for the Dons, thoroughly deserved victory for the Blues. What was your take on it? Well, I know that Tom Worsfold said it's not ideal but didn't want to make too much of it and I wait to hear what Simon Goodwin has to say but let's be honest these two teams have actually only played once in the last three months coming into this weekend and the last thing any team needed was to have a week off the previous week I think it was a pretty hard contract for both Essendon and Melbourne and whilst Carlton were deserved winners there was a fair bit of rustiness ring rust for the Bombers, and I just, you know, I, I, I wonder this whole thing with Connor McKenna, you know, could it have been handled better? Certainly, the question now is whether he's ever had COVID, um, the COVID-19, but did you feel that they were, I, th I thought they were particularly rusty. Gee, that first quarter, 
They were terrible, apart from Parrish and that long goal and an opportunist goal as well. Gee, they were poor moving the ball from player to player. Well, it's one of the main reasons I tipped Carlton. I don't think Essendon historically have ever been much chop coming off a break of any sort. Yeah. Well, I'm not making excuses for them, but it's uh, a job made harder. So would you bring Andrew Phillips into the team? I think you would. I would have had him, I would have had him in from round one. I thought he deserved to be there in round one. Bell Chambers did play okay in that first game. Um, but, you know, all bets should have been off given the second game was, you know, two and a half months later or, or whatever it was. Um, no, I, fair enough. I don't know. I just, I, I think both he and Zaharakis play a lot of games when their form doesn't necessarily warrant it. And it's a mystery to me. And I, I know it's a mystery to a lot of Essendon supporters. Yep. Uh, all right. Well done, the Blues. Um at the same time as that was going on, however, one of the boom teams, surprise boom teams of 2020 was in action. Let's talk about that one. Three wins in a row to the Gold Coast Suns. Who'd have thought? Well, they are playing some really entertaining footy. Had their struggles in this one against a plucky Fremantle. I did tip Freo Fonny and you scoffed. I scoffed. And I uh, thought they... They, well, they were level at three-quarter time, so they had to work hard for up the Suns, but full credit to them. They got there in the end with a couple of goals to just one behind in that final quarter. Final scores, 10 goals, 4, 64, 13-point victors over the Dockers, 8-3, 51, two goals to King, Sexton, Matt Rowell and Ainsworth. And for the Dockers, two to Walters, and two to Bewley. Matt Rowell, again, the Suns best. Ellis, Witts, Miller, uh, all good. And for Frio, Darcy Tucker played pretty well. Michael Walters, Matt Taberner, Plucky, certainly got uh, involved in a stoush at halftime. Uh, Young, reasonably impressive for them. Um, but uh, you saw a lot more of this than I did, Finey. I'll let you lead the way. Yeah, I think it is uh, golden boy syndrome, if you're going to say that Matt Rowell was Gold Coast's best or best on the ground, because he wasn't. He wasn't in the best three on the ground. Hayden Young was magnificent for Fremantle. Oh, boy, was he good. Safe hands. He picked up a ball just before uh, quarter time and smashed it into the forward line, resulting in a goal for Freer. This kid is fantastic, Hayden Young. Keep an eye on him. Matt Rowell. While he, whilst it was not his best game, he kicked two very valuable goals. But he did something with two minutes to go on the clock. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you've seen it, Ro. He went back with the flight of the ball, and he got caved into, like right into his back, and he hit the ground. And he lifted himself up. And the game was not in doubt, but it was still, you know, they weren't 50 points ahead. He sucked it in. He was in agony. And he got into the next contest. What a tough kid he is. It might not have been his best game. might have been his best moment in footy. Of course, the big talking point out of this game was the injury to Nat Fife. It was a hamstring injury of no great note. They showed the down-the-ground footage. He was just chasing after somebody and uh, didn't pull up because you could see take a couple of short steps. And the person knows when he's twinged a hamstring. And I'll tell you what, had that not happened... Your upset was right on the cards, my friend. He had he had um, enabled a magnificent goal by Frio in that third quarter. Uh, a brilliant smother, brilliant smother by him. And Frio 
benefited from that. Bewley actually kicked a couple of goals in a bit of a different role, not from the wing, but he went up forward and was tenacious. And the good news for Freo was they actually had a very functional, dangerous forward line with Taberner leading up and, and covering a lot of ground and Hogan very dangerous. So all of a sudden, things were starting to work for them. Walter's not as uh, imposing as previous weeks. And you know what? Gold Coast showed some maturity. They did show some maturity with um, just Darcy McPherson taking some time off the clock and picking his man and getting the ball forward. And in the end, they won like a mature team would without playing brilliantly. Now, they're not going to keep winning every week, and that's obvious. But they're not going to crash like previous years. So they're a really good watch, Gold Coast, and they go to Geelong next weekend. I th- I'm pretty sure they go to Geelong, to GMHBA. Or uh, they do... Um, um, yeah, it's big weekend next weekend for Geelong, may I say. 300th game for Gary Ablett, 350th for Paddy Dangerfield. And, yeah, there'll be some stern tests for Gold Coast, and they'll pass some of them, Rowan. They really will. Yeah, look, I... Uh... Frio, I don't want to keep harping on about it, but I think Frio have been pretty stiff this season. I, I think mean, they have. You know, they're, they're zero and four. And they're they not Adelaide. Very, very easily. Well, they could very easily be three and one. The only game, the only loss so far, you would say, oh, no, they weren't ever really going to win that one, um, was the one against Port Adelaide. Every other one, they've been a, a decent chance to win. How long do we think Fife will miss? Two at least. Families are three weeks, aren't they? Minimum. It looked yeah. like it looked like a less serious hamstring, but they never come back in two, and they shouldn't. No, anyhow. and uh, that will be very, very costly. Given, and you've said a lot about this, the dependence upon him and upon Walters. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, there's every chance they're going to end up sort of zero six, zero seven, but uh, it's a it's a deceptive. It'll be a deceptive zero seven because I think there's um, they've shown some really good signs this year and can certainly see um, them getting better uh, under Justin Longmuir, who uh, is having to do a tough, tough initiation to the caper. Uh, he's opposite number Stuart Jew, certainly knows about that. Good to see Stuart Jew starting to uh, get a few licks of the ice cream, although in Stuart Jew's case, <laughs> licks of the ice cream's probably an inappropriate metaphor. Rowan, could um, I be a bit tough on Fremantle here? Not tough, but this is their situation. They've got They've got two or three. They've got three players in particular from other clubs that they just. If they're in the team, they're not. Go, they're they're a bottom four team, and it's tough call. But I'm telling you that Travis Collier, Reese Conker, and I know Brandon Matera was okay last year, but he's going like a busted ass this year. Uh, I know they try. I know Conker and Collier try, but really they they surplus to needs especially Collier, at a team that isn't, you know, isn't all that blessed with leg speed anyhow, Essendon. You don't want those, you know, you need to improve your list so those guys are not in your best 22. Yeah, look, it's uh, yeah, it's a tough call. I don't think it's an unreasonable call. Like, uh, this stage, maybe on Matera. I think Matera's played some decent footy for them. Yeah, but, yeah, but um, he'd not, I'm saying, well, that I said, last year he was their second leading goal kicker. So, uh, maybe give him a, a, a not a pass on this year's form, but excuse him being in the team. Oh, the other couple. 
All right, so Gold Coast winning their third game in a row. That uh, draws a line through the Saturday games. Let's talk about Sunday. All right, three games on Sunday, and we kicked it off up at the Gabba, where Brisbane, getting on a roll now, won their third in a row over. I was going to say a hapless Adelaide, but they weren't quite so bad this week. They really showed a bit in the third quarter and, in fact, managed to uh, get within uh, three goals of Brisbane at the last change before the Lions kicked again. And uh, have a look at the scoring shots. Um, In a way, I guess Adelaide might have been fortunate uh, only to lose by 37 points. Final scores, 10-23. God, they missed some chances. 10-23, 83 Brisbane to Adelaide's 7-4-46. Two to McCarthy, two to Cameron, singles the rest. And Adelaide, two goals to Tex Walker, two to Billy Frampton, who came alive. Wasn't even the right place to use that uh, cheap line, but I did anyway. Um, Lions hosted contributors. They lost Dane Zorko early on with a uh, hamstring in- uh, calf injury, sorry. But a um, bit of uh, some worries to him. He's been in and out with soft tissue injuries. Uh, Adelaide lost uh, Hamill early in the piece of concussion. Also had a late change, Darcy Fogarty uh, not getting up, which was a blow for them. But uh, Brisbane, plenty of contributors. McLuggage, terrific. Neil started pretty slowly, but really came into it. And Jared Berry, outstanding for them, I thought. Jared Lyons, Robinson and Lester to a lesser extent. Your boy Tex Walker, I thought he had a had a crack today. I thought he was uh, better, definitely better than he had been. Kicked a couple in a row. Uh, Brad Crouch tried. Uh, Brady Smith tried. Tom Lynch tried. Miles Paholke, a uh, bit of promise there. Look, they hung in for a while, but their heads dropped again in the last quarter as uh, Brisbane slammed on, well, 3-8. Could have been an absolute massacre in the finish. So they won't be as disappointed as they have been in the previous losses. But, of course, the season already pretty much dead and buried and uh, the rest of their games will just be about, hopefully, for them developing something for Matthew Nix to work with as coach. Brisbane, meanwhile, playing an attractive brand of footy, dangerous up forward, their biggest enemy, in fact. And uh, watching their inaccuracy today took me back to their finals campaign last year, uh, you know, it's not rocket science. you just got to put them through the big sticks. And if they can do that uh, more consistently, they'll be that more dangerous. But pretty impressive all up by the lines. What do you make of it? Now, first of all, apologies, because I missed out something very important from the previous game, Rowan. What was that? It was the first time in the history of league football since 1897 that at half time there were no behinds on the scoreboard. Oh, it's the first time ever. Really? Ever. Okay. Seven straight to there six straight. So oh, from that so from that very unusual accurate stat to this one, and that was the first goal of the game was kicked by Hugh McLuggage when he swooped on some stupidity by the Adelaide defence and ran into the goals from sort of the point post and ran in and kicked a goal. Remember that? Yep. Do you know what happened after that? Him and Lockie Neal kicked 0-11. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen two players hack the ball more inaccurately. 0-11 between two of them. Poor going. Uh, as you said, might come to bite them on the backside when they're playing for 
higher stakes against better teams than the dispirited, disorganised, disgusting Adelaide Football Club. What were they thinking at selection? Don't they have weather forecasts in their hotel? And even if they do, they pick the wrong team. See, why on earth would you go into that game with Riley O'Brien, who's your ruckman, and then put in Billy Frampton, who's a ruckman, who you don't even use? What was the idea of that? And not to mention that they're tall up forward anyhow. Their forward line's got uh, Tex Walker. Um, uh, who's that number? Who, who was the other blonde bloke getting around there? The other key Himmelberg. forward. Himmelberg. 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 Yeah. He came in for Fogarty. Yeah, too tall, mate. Don't you reckon? Way too tall for that for their for the opposition, for the conditions. So they picked the wrong twenty two. Uh Rory Sloan well was it, he got injured after half time, but looked quite serious, that ankle injury, but maybe not as bad as it looked. But he's playing not very well. Well, not really getting near the ball. Uh, and you're right, Tex Walker wasn't bad. But Brisbane, they just really I don't know if percentage is going to make be that important for them, but they threw away an 80, 90 point, 80 or 90 point win, really. All day they were just peppering away without getting their just desserts. All right, so uh, three wins in a row now to Brisbane after that surprise round one loss uh, all the way back in March against Hawthorne. But they've steadied the ship all right, done it pretty well. And they power on. Looks like uh, last year isn't going to be a one-off, by no means a fluke. Second game on the Sunday menu, back in Melbourne at the MCG. Let's talk about that one. All right, those old, um, old, old rivals. I don't know why, but when Melbourne plays Geelong, I always think, you know, Melbourne grammar, Geelong grammar, very sort of private school Squatocracy sort of affair, but Melbourne, uh, Melbourne, like, Melbourne's along are the two oldest football clubs. So you are right; they're the two. They were the first two clubs. Well, that too, but not much evidence of uh, any sort of uh, class of any sort. Obviously, in the stands at the MCG today, and I'd hate to say it, but not much evidence of football ability, and certainly no evidence of entertainment because the first half of this game was so bad. It was one of the worst halves of football I think I've ever seen. I will be elaborating on this a little bit later, so don't want to um, fire all my shots at once. But uh, it improved slightly in the second half, but a really unabsorbing game, despite the fact that it ended in a very, very narrow three-point win to the Cats. Seven goals, five, 47 Defeating Melbourne 6-8-44. Brayshaw, Melbourne's only multiple goal kicker. The Cats, all single goal kickers. Uh, Oliver, Viney, Petrarca, pretty handy for the Demons. Cam Guthrie played a pretty reasonable game for the Cats. Menegola, uh, Dangerfield and Selwood in patches. But uh, pretty mediocre display by just about everyone involved, I thought. Viney, am I being too harsh? Not harsh enough. Well, Collingwood and Richmond get off the hook for the worst game of the year. That was terrible, in perfect conditions. Still, no dew. And that uh, Geelong have got real problems. Oh, they've got major issues on that ground, and they won. 
this was uh, Geelong. Uh, no one will be under any illusions connected with that side that they have got some major issues. Their uh, attempt to sit on that lead in the last quarter was only successful because of the grave incompetence of most Melbourne footballers going forward and the lack of, I don't know, lack, lack of composure, lack of teamwork, lack of cohesion. They had many opportunities. Bailey French, who was so dynamic during the Marsh Community Series prior to the start of the year, he's he's as flat as a uh, so-and-so Carter's hat at the moment. He's just not flying. He's He dropped a mark early. He dropped a couple of marks that would have been goals. Uh, they got most energy out of Kaiser or Cozzy Pickett, but to be honest, he didn't handle the ball very well. He just was vibrant, so they got something out of him. Uh, McDonald, he showed a little bit late. He showed nothing in the first half. Petrarca was quite good. Gorn was good. No question Gorn was good. After a bit of a slow start, he was excellent. And beyond that, a bit of run from Langdon. But boy, have they got some passages in that team. and some. Oh, I thought Mick Shannon played very well. He was he was good when they were not good, but the rest of them. Um, I don't know what I know. Christian Salem plays a bit of a lockdown role in defence, but he's yeah from a from a guy who was you know touted for his ball willing a ball winning ability and you know one of the priority chasers for GWS. He's become a, a, a very ineffective footballer. Their their backline. May and Lever are literally the same player. And you know how I know that, Rowan? Because when they're not spoiling their opponents, they're spoiling each other. How many times does one of them go for the ball and the other one punch it away? I mean, they can actually take an intercept mark if the other one bothered to keep out of their way. They, they, they didn't need both of them. They could have kept Frost. would have been more effective. They're... Problems are manifold, but also the guys that they bring in the team, you know what, at three-quarter time, they showed just before they came back on the ground, they're, they're trailing, and I, I, Brochure actually played quite well as well, but I don't know why he's sitting on the bench with Hannon and laughing. I, I didn't see any cause for them to be jovial at three-quarter time sitting on the bench. Did you see that? Interesting. Well, I did. Interesting you said that, because uh, we will be doing life hacks shortly, and... Um... Don't say any more on that because that's all I'll say. It's uh, an okay. observation I've had with a few games so far this season. All right, um, just just on oh, Geelong, well, just quickly on Geelong, a guy that I reckon has been not much shop for the season actually got them going in that third quarter. I thought Asava Radigalia was very good in the first half of the third quarter. Leading up, took a few strong marks, kicked a nice goal. Again, terrible defending by Melbourne. How two defenders can be pushed Underneath the ball by one man, Gary Rowan, is an embarrassment for those Melbourne defenders, really. Um, I thought Asava had that good 15-minute patch, and they profited from that with Guthrie, as you said, playing well. Jack Stevens, interesting. He's not fit. That's not his body shape. But he still knows how to get the ball. And if he wasn't you know, gasping for air so much, his handling would be better. So watch watch for him in three or four weeks. He's still a good footballer. Uh, Geelong, they impress nobody, but they're better than Melbourne on today's form. 
Uh, interesting weight for them on the uh, seriousness of that injury to Tom Stewart. So oh, yeah. he broke his oh. collarbone in a very, very innocuous looking, uh, it wasn't even a clash really, he was standing in the defensive goal square and Tom McDonald just happened to bump him and Stewart uh, turned and ran off with his collarbone clearly out of place. So I don't know if there was an underlying weakness there no. that was just pushed over the edge. But um, no, You know, Rowan, with, so, with something like that, you've got McDonald's a very big bloke, right? He comes to you for the big bump, just, you know, which is not terrible. You brace yourself. And it's all about angles. And really, he just was bloody unlucky. But that, that I reckon you couldn't have a bigger loss for Geelong. He organises that back line. Yep, it's going to be costly for them. All right, uh, like I say, they've got Gold Coast down there next week and massive milestone game for a couple of uh, greatest ever Geelong players in Ablett and Selwood. All right, uh, one game to go to finish off round four. Let's talk about that one. Okay, so round nine finished off uh, under the roof at Marvel Stadium, 6.10pm on the Sunday. And another thriller, Finey, a four-point win to the Hawks. Eight goals, 10-58 against North Melbourne's 8-6-54. But this was an amazing final 10 minutes because Hawthorne really appeared to control this game for 90% of it got as far in front as 31 points with under 10 minutes to go. And then credit to the Roos. Uh, I mean, the Hawks may have stopped, but the Roos absolutely came with all guns blazing. Uh, they got one back from uh, first gamer Tristan Zeri. Uh, Benny Brown, who hadn't done a lot, kicked another one. Then they got one from Zerha, who'd been quiet all day. And uh, then finally... Um, Oh, I've forgotten who kicked that last goal. It might have been Taylor. But they were back within a kick and did most of the attacking in that uh, last couple of frantic minutes. In the end, the Hawks just managing to hang on the ball around the wing when the siren went. But uh, for a game that looked to be decisively theirs, uh, I don't think Coach Alistair Clarkson would have been too happy about the way they closed it out because they almost let the unlosable game escape from their clutches. Three goals to Chad Wingard. Impressive again. He's played a couple of good ones in a row for the Hawks. Singles the rest. All singles to North Melbourne. Wingard, like I said, good performer for the Hawks today. Mitchell, prolific. McAvoy, pretty decent again in that new role. Liam Shields kicked a valuable goal for them and handy as well. And James Warple just worked his way into the contest. Sean Higgins been kept quiet last week for the Roos, but prolific today. Thought he was outstanding. Todd Goldstein, great in the ruck. Robbie Tarrant, pretty good in defence. And uh, Jed Anderson and Jared Pollock, pretty consistent contributors for the Roos, who uh, really didn't look like it for, yeah, like I said, 90% of this game. But, uh, wow, what a burst at the end. And uh, there'll be a few if-onlys going around Arden Street over the next week, because had they played anything like that in the remainder of this game, they may well have turned a narrow defeat into victory, finding. Yeah, uh, that last goal was Taron Thomas, but I know. Oh, what, Thomas, sorry. I know, Thomas, but yeah. well, I know why you said Curtis Taylor because he nipped in just in front of Ben Brown to take a mark. Right. Now he's a good kid, Taylor, but uh, it was a case of Curtis interrupt us because Brown, who'd had a quiet night was 
much more likely to cover the distance than Curtis Taylor, who just fell short. So my question to you is, what do Jai... Uh, the answer's pretty obvious. What do Jai Simpkin... Uh, Townsend. Um, what's Townsend's first name? Jacob. Jacob Townsend. Jacob. And uh, the uh, the wingman from Melbourne who played for GWS. Adam Tomlinson. Yes. What do they have in common? They all had shots to win a game and they all fell short. Yeah, well, uh, not short for Simpkins' case. He probably had the best chance, didn't he, the snap? That snapshot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was under pressure. It was yeah, it under was under pressure. pressure. These things are close run, but as you said, Hawthorne led for most of the night, so uh, North only have themselves to blame. And my final observation from that game is we will never, I believe, get closer to having three Zeds play for the one team in the one game. Of course, I mean, it was a Scrabble player's delight. Zebel, Zerhar, and Zeri. The problem is that Zeri's with an X. Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, I didn't mention also uh, two significant late withdrawals from this game. Jonathan Patton didn't line up for the Hawks. He was replaced by... Gee, there's, uh, two, there, there's one point and three kicks they would have been desperate to replace. <laughs> uh, Mitch Lewis... Mitch Lewis replaced him, or Lewis Mitchell, um, if you're in the uh, Channel 7 commentary booth. And uh, the other one, though, probably of far more consequence, was Ben Cunnington, a late withdrawal with a back injury for the Roos. And, uh, gee, who knows, maybe his presence might have made the difference uh, between victory and defeat. So, costly for the Roos. They... um, Look, they they weren't shocking today by any means, but um, from everyone singing their praises... After those first two games, they're now back to two and two. Um, last week's defeat against Sydney more unexpected than this one was. Hawthorne were in pretty good form previous round against Richmond, but could have won this game. Absolutely could have won this game, and they'll feel like it is an opportunity lost. No doubt about that. So they're back to two two. Hawks are pretty impressive in the last couple of weeks, and I yeah I still think they are a definite top. Eighth side and pretty ominous, the form of Chad Wingard over those last couple of weeks as well. All right, we have discussed all nine games in round four. I reckon we uh, we change a pace a little, finey, and uh, well, it doesn't mean we won't be talking about football, but we're going to talk about uh, whatever we desire because this is coming up. Life hacks. Life hacks. Building a better world. All right, uh, I'm going to let you kick this segment off this week, Fanny. What do you What do you got for us on the life hack front? I've got a mixed bag, but I want to start with uh, all convenience stores and petrol station connected food outlets and drink outlets. Nobody wants your shitty bargains, your deals. In fact, what everybody wants when they want to drink at a 7-Eleven or a, one of these petrol food outlets is just to be able to go in there and buy a bottle of water or a bottle of Powerade or a bottle of whatever without being told that they're $73,000 each or two for $7.50. I don't want two. I want one. 
And if you've got any sense of responsibility for trying to reduce the obesity levels in children in this country, you'll stop um, selling sugar-laden soft drinks like you're a street-corner drug dealer. All right, that's interesting, given uh, our local BP. I'm a, um, I'm a very frequent uh, taker of the two cans of Coke No Sugar for $4 deal. But it is Coke No Sugar. Only 1.4 calories per can. As a mate once said, when a big, when a largish friend, we used to go out for dinner and there was a very largish friend and the waiter came and said to my largish friend, would you like dessert, sir? And my other mate said, have a look at him. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm not caring as much as I was, no, that's, Mark, that's as, what, you, as, as you well know. And that's why you've gone non-sugar. But still, you know that a lot of those sugary drinks are sold double, you know, two at a time, and that's bad. I, yeah, I do know that. All right, uh, my first one, and uh, some people will be pleased to know this is the only non-footy one for me this week, but, um, boy, it's been an interesting week uh, around the thorny issue of racism, finally. I know we discussed it on Footyology Final Siren the other night. Um, there's been a huge um, brouhaha about the Nicky Winmar Famous Nicky Winmar gesture, of course. Um, Sam Newman, Mike Sheen, Don Scott in their podcast disputing the generally accepted version of events about the motivations behind Nicky Winmar raising his jumper that day and pointing to his skin. Uh, Winmar and photographer Wayne Ludby, who took the famous shot, are suing the podcast. Uh, it has got particularly heated um i've sort of inadvertently been dragged into that debate because a, a column i wrote about sporting symbolism 12 years ago referred to people's doubts about what was said in that incident although i never actually assumed judgment one way or the other and i've since uh been absolutely convinced by wayne ludby's word for it that uh i'm black and i'm proud is what nikki winmar said however um there's a lot of stuff going on the racism front at the moment. The Black Lives Matter protests, uh, which have spread here as well. Um, some really interesting discussions and debates and columns about um, the need for more uh, cultural uh, diversity in the workplace and most workplaces. Um, and uh, I think I've sort of been encouraged by what's been going on on social media as well to wit not long before we recorded this finding, I received one of the most disgustingly, blatantly racist tweets that I've ever received from anyone in my life. Obviously not referring to me, but just about the whole thing about immigration and whites and coloured people. And it was disgusting, this tweet. Um, and I just did what I usually do now. I called it out publicly before I blocked the person. But I'm finding that younger generations particularly are just far, far less tolerant of even casual racism than ours were. And I'm really encouraged by that. I'm thinking that younger people now are coming around to what should have always been the natural view in the same way that they were probably the first generation to universally embrace um, equal rights for people of different sexual preferences. And uh, we are seeing the increase of tolerance as the um, older generations die out and the younger ones come through with a, a more fully rounded and tolerant, compassionate view of the world. And I think that's great to see in a world that's been pretty stuffed up of late. 
I have a lot of faith in young people, particularly now. And as a, a gradually ageing man, uh, I'm pretty proud of young people in society today. All right, your second point. Just on that, you know, I've got four kids. They are at the vanguard of uh, a new a new approach to society. They get stuck into me when I do one of my very funny accents. They say it's racist. I'm not sure that that is racist, but I will defer to their modern view. Uh, now it's time for my second hack, and it's football related. And you're not going to like this because whenever I do this, you roll your eyes and go, don't do it, Finey. But uh, Fox foot, footy coverage has to be fair income. And if they employ somebody as a boundary rider, that person needs to do their job. And Sarah Jones is, I don't believe, capable of doing that job properly, as she showed in the St Kilda Richmond game. Now, Sarah Jones as a presenter, as a conduit back to the studio, fine. If that's the way they're going to go, I personally believe that there's an AFLW full of football-savvy young women that is fertile ground for a a more football-based presenter. Give them their penchant for ex-footballers or footballers being dominating the rest of their coverage, then there's an AFLW... I'm sure, ready presenter in the wings. But, okay, that's their choice. Personal preference there. But once you are on the ground as a uh, as a boundary rider, you have responsibilities. As you know, Rowan, you've held that position. So I can tell you a lot of people were shocked to know that Zach Jones was injured after yesterday's game and that Gresham uh, likewise didn't take virtually any part in the last quarter. Now, these are things that have to be reported by the person on the boundary. And to not do so is basically not doing your job. And how you can be standing there and not not report that is unacceptable. All right. Uh, Well, you're entitled to your view. I'll just say two things. One, that having done that boundary job a lot, it is quite easy to miss what appear to other people to be significant injuries. No, um, it, maybe with a full ground of people there is, but with nothing else going on, Rowan, it's impossible to miss. All right. The second point I was going to make was, uh, and you you will uh, doubt my sincerity here, but last night Sarah was hosting Fox's coverage in the studio and they came back at halftime, the Essendon Carlton game, and I thought she made a couple of particularly pertinent points that I thought someone who doesn't know the game wouldn't be capable of making. What, what so, were they? I can't remember now. I just remember thinking at the time. All right, let's get on with it. We, uh, uh, mate, mate, we, I'll, I'll take I'll take you to task there. We need. I know to get she's. On with I know it, she's part Mark. of the Essendon family, and I know you're part of the Essendon family, but you're being disingenuous. I'm defending it. I reckon it is. Okay, it's not. Um, all right, uh, my second one is uh, you alluded to it before and you talked about seeing people on the bench sort of laughing and joking with their side behind, which is funny because I'd actually written this down as a life hack, but I hadn't seen the incident you're referring to. It's remarkable to me, and I'm not one for this, oh, you're not allowed to smile after a loss sort of thing, but there have been that many games this year where it's been either a kick the difference and the losing side could have won 
Aura side's been absolutely spanked, embarrassingly so, when I have seen several players in that side laughing and joking, like not five seconds after the siren, with um, their teammates and people on the other side. And I'm not going to have a go at them as such. What it does make me think, though, and this isn't, uh, I don't say this lightly, but I'm starting to think that this season, it doesn't mean as much to players involved in it. And I think as several, uh, I'm not even criticising them for feeling that way, if that is the case, but I think the lack of crowds has created a far flatter atmosphere, more akin to a scratch match or a training session. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of serious stuff going on. Um, I think there's a far, uh, a few too many players who are pretty comfortable just being football players these days as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, it really has struck me, and it's not something I usually make a point of noticing, but um, I, I noticed it, I think, last night after Essendon's, Essendon's lost to Carlton, that there's... I, it just, I don't think players at the moment are attaching the same level of seriousness to how their teams perform. And I don't know if uh, their fans or their coaches would necessarily be that happy with that. All right, yours next. Okay, my final one is to do with gambling on the football. Well, it's, it's everywhere except during the game, you know, and I was watching Foxtel today and in between... I think the first game and the second game, or just before the first game, up Bob's uh, Billy Brownless with a big ad for Points Bet, one of these companies that bet on the football, and he's joined by Daisy Thomas. Now, there's a very fine line between giving advice as to what you think is a good bet or, um, you know, what, what are good odds and encouraging people to bet, which I think is dangerous. But, you know, the line is crossed when you are encouraging people to bet on misinformation, suggesting that something is a bet worth taking. So this is what happened today. Uh, Points bet put two players together and say that if those two players get a certain number of possessions, they have odds for that, right? So the... Uh, two players in question today, oh, they had a few of these bracketed players, but I think uh, a couple of them were Lockie Neal and uh, might have been Rory Sloan or... Anyhow, it was Lockie Neal and somebody else, right? And it was odds of $3 if they got more than 50 possessions. And do you know what Billy Brownler said? He said, well, last time they played, Lockie Neal got 39 possessions... So that's a really good bet. Now, that is misinformation to encourage people to bet, isn't it? Given the last time they played, the quarters were considerably longer. So on fallacious information, he's encouraging people to put a bet on. Uh, and that's wrong, especially because he works for the bookmaker that would be hoping that that bet loses. So that's a very dangerous line to be, you know, finally treading. All right, my final one, uh, and I will be quick, um, and it's a sad one, really. We've heard a lot about the AFL and how good a comp is it and how much integrity is and whatever. However, we are still we are still at least seeing some AFL. I read a uh, very sad story a couple of days ago, and it was about the demise of the seasons of so many grassroots football competitions, both suburban and country, 
uh, in Victoria particularly. And uh, Victoria particularly unfortunate as um, I think they tentatively a week ago announced a resumption date of late July. And then in the intervening week, of course, we've seen this significant spike in cases and that's put everything, a lot of things back on the back burner, including the resumption of a lot of sport. And uh, unfortunately, you know, finance uh, and resources are so tenuous in so many of these competitions that if they go into recess, you really have to wonder whether we will see them again, whether it's a club or a league or whatever. In fact, this story I read mentioned something like 19 different suburban and country football leagues in Victoria alone during the week had announced that they were cancelling their seasons and some pretty big uh, competitions among them too, uh, even suburban ones, let alone country ones. So uh, thoughts are with everyone who's actively involved at that level of football. And whilst we all concentrate on the AFL, um, the consequences of the coronavirus in terms of grassroots and community sport are absolutely shocking. And uh, I think a lot of people aren't even aware just how dramatic the ramifications are going to be, not only this year because it's been abandoned, but in subsequent years because of a flow-on effect and the lack of money uh, and funding that uh, they will receive through not being able to play a season. So a real, real worry that, I think, for the future of sport, let alone just football. All right, there is life hacks. Uh, we need to finish this up, but we should do so with a good, healthy rant. On Footyology, the rant of... All right, Finey, I'm going to go first. You're going to count me in? One, two, three. I'm pissed off with football, Finey. Yep, we're going down this road again. A potentially damaging road too, given we're doing a podcast about the very game I'm about to bag. But I'm really not sure how much of this crap I can take. I doubted it was possible to see worse, more boring AFL football than Collingwood and Richmond subjected us to in round two. But if I ever see a worse half of footy than the first half of Sunday's Melbourne-Geelong game, I will happily watch two robots playing chess for the rest of my life and see another second of that absolute garbage. Look, we've already spent a lot of time discussing the various reasons for how much crap footy we watch these days. Too many rotations, improved defensive mechanisms, improved fitness and conditioning. They're just a handful. Ultimately, though, it comes down to this and that is a complete lack of courage from AFL coaches. Well, to be fair, not all of them. I mean, why is it that the likes of Brisbane under Chris Fagan, Port Adelaide at the moment under Ken Hinckley, and now, believe it or not, even the previously hapless Gold Coast under Stuart Dew are able to play fast football and to score? I'll tell you why. Because they're prepared to chance their arm, to gamble, and not just when it comes to how they move the football. Here are three coaches who several seasons now have been prepared to throw their kids in at selection, to trust the skills and enthusiasm of youth to drive them forward, to put up with the occasional brain fade or clangor, knowing that even those experiences are helping build something better than stultifying mediocrity. When these teams play finally, they're less likely to slow to a complete halt just because they can't see any teammates completely free. They'll back themselves to win a marking contest or at least win the crumbs that eventuate from it. They'll accept that to create something in this game, you have to be prepared to take at least some bloody risk. The worst part of that first half between the Demons and Cats wasn't even the pathetic scoreline of 2-3 to 2-2. It was the complete absence of contest or even intensity 
as both sides chipped this way and that at a snail's pace, looking for the elusive free man. Two teams so scared to turn it over or even head inside the corridor, lest they lower their percentage of retaining possession. It was pretty ironic that one of those frightened little chips when Mark O'Connor tried to find Jake Collar-Jasney and instead let Mark Brayshaw in for a goal almost ended up costing Geelong the game. You might argue a lot of what we're seeing at the moment is due to extraordinary playing conditions and shortened quarters, but I reckon this malaise goes a lot deeper than that. And in an atmosphere where people are questioning whether AFL football, among other things, deserves the amount of energy they invest in it, the timing couldn't be worse. Actually, finally, I shouldn't have mentioned how I'd rather be watching chess earlier because most of the time now I am watching it. Sure, this version's on grass, but it's just as slow. The tactics often as hard to comprehend and the result as big an exercise in absolute bloody boredom. Yeah, I know what the coaches will say. The stakes are too high. Jobs are on the line. Fans would rather see their team play boring football and win than an entertaining style and lose. That might be the case in the short term, but I'll tell you this. Keep up the sort of crap we've seen way too much of already this season and again on Sunday, and there won't be any fans left to worry about. Yeah, as we said, cardboard fans have been walking out or blowing out of the stadium. No, you're spot bloody on. Bloody awful. Terrible. That's Melbourne's a long game. Terrible. Yep, bad. All right, your go. Three, two, one, rant. Well, there's a new dynamic in our lives and it's called under the cover of covid and under the cover of covid you can basically do anything rowan ask me uh if i'd like to come over and maybe spend some time with you break a meal sorry can't do it covid natalie ask me mark can you take out the rubbish sorry can't covid I had my can't COVID on Friday when I went down to Rebel Sport to buy my son some boxing equipment as he's taken up a new form of exercise that he's going to give up in a couple of weeks, but we're going to spend a couple of hundred dollars to try and get him interested in. This time it's boxing with a training partner. Needed a couple of boxing gloves, needed some wraps, went down to Rebel Sport. They were business as usual. People were helping people, putting shoes on customers. Other people were... uh, assisting people with new purchases, a cricket bat here, a tennis racket there. I made my purchase, went up the front, handed over my $100 note and got told, no, we don't take cash. I said, you fair income? It comes to ninety nine ninety five. just take it. Can't do it. I don't want the five cents. Take it! Can't do it. You mean, I can't have these gloves and wraps? No, I can't. It was a problem. Had to go back home, find my credit card, put some money on it, go back there, slam it down on the counter and say, under the cover of COVID, you lot are the greatest pains in the ass of all time. Look, under the cover of COVID, you could not want to do anything you want, but all you are going to be is worse than the bloody virus itself. Wow. Yeah, I've seen the don't accept cash policy in a few places now. Is this what? They just don't want to handle stuff that other people have handled. Oh, they don't mind handling your shoes if you're taking off a runner, putting on socks, putting on shoes, putting on socks, shoe socks, shoe socks, shoe socks. That's okay. And by the way, sitting at your groin level for 15 minutes doing it, they won't do that. You know, there's no evidence anywhere in the world of anybody catching the virus from dollar no- from banknotes. Mm. Look it up. Yeah. It came yeah, to no, 99 uh... 95 Rowan. I gave her a $100 yes. note. Yes, no, I'm I'm with you on this. Can't no, do it. No, she couldn't do it. Understand. I wanted right, I, I, I wanted to use that, I wanted to use those boxing gloves, but of course, 
Violence against anybody is not allowed. Well, I can understand that one. Um, all right, no, good rant, good rant on point in these COVID-laden times. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. No, we're not. Uh, COVID. Uh, no, oh, I can assure you we are, COVID or no COVID. Um, quick plug to our wonderful sponsors, Finey. I promise you, both of these companies will not COVID you out of their great service. First of all, Andrew's Hamburgers at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, has never said covid as a way of getting out of serving the best burgers in town, and as though Nick Spartels of the magnificent West Point properties would say, no, we're not going to do your rebuild. Or instead of putting in a staircase, I put in a plastic slide because of COVID. No, not them. All right. uh, Wonderful sponsors. We thank them for their support. We thank you, our wonderful audience, for your support. Uh, Please support us if you can brother spare a dime jump on our patreon page the footyology patreon page and uh pledge us five dollars us per month that will enable able you to read all the great content on our website including coming up in the next couple of days the start of finey's top 50 movies of all time and i can tell you it is a very eclectic list uh, so jump on there and support us. You can also support us on this Acast podcast platform or anywhere you get your podcasts. You'll hear the promo at the start of this podcast. And uh, following that, hope your team had a win this week. Uh, if not, better luck next time. We'll speak to you on Thursday. See you later.